Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Paddle Pod, your weekly podcast covering professional paddle presented by Hugo and Gons. Episode 11. Hugo, it's always great to have you here. How are you doing today? Very well, thanks, Gons. How are you? Yeah, very, very good. Um, unfortunately, it was a week where we didn't have much paddle, but um, that won't last very long as this week we head into the Valencia Open, which uh, should be very good and I'm sure we'll get into that uh, later on in the episode. But uh, I guess it was time for, you know, maybe players to take up a bit on some media, media work that they have to do. Um, and we did have an interview by Sanjo Gutierrez, which we wanted to discuss. Well, it's always great to hear El Mago de San Luis, as they call him, uh, speak because he's such an honest bloke, straight, you know, to the point. Um, doesn't shy away from saying anything. And yeah, this interview was carried by 2010. Um, they'd be doing an awesome job as well and getting so many good players uh, speaking. But yeah, I guess I just wanted to hear your thoughts on it. What did you find interesting? Um, I guess, what did you like? What should we go into? Well, to be honest, there's so many juicy topics that it's hard to pick the first one to crack on with. As you said, it's always great to hear Sanyor talking, really, because he's very open, very honest and very transparent. And people may like him more and like him or like him less for that. But personally, I do actually really like that honesty and the fact that he speaks his mind and doesn't beat around the bush. So, yeah, as I say, it was a really juicy interview, a lot of different topics. Maybe we could kick off with maybe the one that we've been talking about the most, which is his partnership with Momo, their recent performances, and, well, a bit about the fact that, obviously, the microphones had caught him bad-mouthing Momo a bit at one of the changeovers during the last tournament when they lost to Garrido and Campagnolo. And, well, he essentially said that he's always been like that. He did, I feel work his way around about topic basically not talking about that specifically he because he was asked about whether what things momo had to improve to become a top player and start winning trophies because if i'm not mistaken he's only won one trophy and that's with yangwas and it was an open 500 right yeah and, correct and which even to be honest is baffling yeah, and even in the interview, they mentioned that he's been in finals with all his pairs. Yeah, exactly. Which, I mean, I was I was baffled. I couldn't believe that the fact that he hadn't won one. I know he's won the Open 500, so he has actually won a tournament. But I guess not against the top, top seeds. And Momo, uh, sorry, Sanyo did actually beat about around the bush a bit in that sense. But he kept on drilling down the fact that he's just really open, really transparent. And people may like that or not, but he was essentially talking a lot about the fact that you only hear some of the changeovers, so you only actually get to hear players' benches, I think it's after it's 4 all in a set. And so he said they hadn't heard the previous changeovers when I was actually, well, talking great things about Momo. And one of the topics that actually we'd really wanted to well we wanted to talk about today was 
how important it is to, or how important he thinks it is to follow what coaches say in terms of follow shot selection on what they've decided to do prior to the match. And well, yeah, go on, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that because he was talking a lot about the fact that he doesn't actually care that much when, say, the coaches said you've got to play a lob to the forehand player over his left shoulder. And if execution doesn't go the right way, Sanyo's absolutely fine with it. It's when they kind of go randomly and just decide to do something that's not within the plan and it doesn't work out. That's when he gets frustrated. So, yeah, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, I think maybe before going into this quickly on what you initially said about Sanjo and, you know, the bad-mouthing that's been going on or the perceived bad-mouthing, I think it's important to say as well that, you know, Sanjo also expressed that he says this to Momo and Momo, like, knows what Sanjo said. And obviously if Sanjo's like, yeah, don't he was, like, literally like, don't you think that I know Momo's going to see this online? Like, you know what I mean? It's not as if, like, Momo would never find out, obviously, with, you know, the social media and stuff. So it's just very important to to be aware of that as well. I think the importance is that, you know, if 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 Sanyo was saying this and doing this behind Momo's back, then I'd be like, well, this is just not right. It's not just how you shouldn't behave. But obviously, it's, you know, he's also telling Momo, like, hey, you know, these are the things we need to work on. I didn't feel like, you know, this was the right approach and all of these things. And I'm sure they, you know, they speak about it in training, even during the match as well, on court, everything. So, yeah, it's important to realize that, yeah, we see like a 15-second snip of what's happening. And, you know, obviously we think like, oh, my God, what's going on? You know, they don't like each other. Sanjo's bad-mouthing Momo behind his back. But, you know, that's probably not the case. And we lack a lot of context. Um, so having said that, yeah, that that the thing you were mentioning, I think, is really interesting. He also that he he also discussed, which was, I guess, the 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 difference between like choosing the right and the wrong shot and actually executing it well or not. And he was saying that for him, it doesn't really matter if you 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 know, you choose in theory what is supposed to be the right shot like at that time. So, you know, you play a lob when you're supposed to play a lob to that person, you know, the right lob, the right side. But then for whatever reason, just say you put, you know, you put a little extra on it and it just goes and, you know, hits the back wall and then it's out. To him, he was saying that that's perfectly fine. And uh, and that's how he approaches the game and he, how he would, you know, how he'd rather go out rather than like, as you were mentioning, just going, you know, away from plan and really um, not executing what, what they had discussed, which he did say that it happened with Momo in Valladolid, for example, um, in, in especially I think he said in the second set of the first round match. But uh, I, I, to be honest, that's how I, I approach the game personally as well. I'm, I'm, I'm very big on it doesn't matter if you miss as long as it was the right shot, because, you know, you can always practice a, a certain shot and it will, you know, eventually it will just come better. I think what's more difficult to master and what's really key is actually the decision-making process. Like, do, did I need to play that ball? Was that ball actually well played? Like, should have I played a different ball? Should I have played a shorter ball? Should I have played a longer ball? Should I have played a harder? Should I have played a softer? And obviously that's so nuanced because it depends on each situation of the match, where the players are placed, even how the opposition players, like maybe one's feeling particularly well versus, you know, the other maybe is not doing so well. Um, 
this you know your point situation like can you risk a bit can you not so I feel like actually teaching you know a shot selection like that decision making process is so complex that if you if you if you're constantly doing the, the wrong shot then I just feel like it's harder to improve that versus like always being able to play or always playing the right type of shot but just not executing it well so and I think it's also psychologically important as well you know it helps like it's like well you know I didn't execute well that's fair but at least I know that that was the right type of shot and I should be confident of that if that makes sense yeah it does and to be honest I'm definitely in Sanyo's boat and turns out your boat so great <laughs> I'm very much that kind of player as well I think at the end of the day you can practice shots as much as you want but sometimes they're just not going to happen and you're not going to have a good day and you're going to see things straight in your head but execution is not going to go the right way and that's totally normal you look at the best players in the world in any sport and look at footballers they miss penalties I'm sure they practice those on a daily basis you look at well paddle players and they miss well what for them are very easy smashes or volleys and put them into the net or right into the glass at the back of the court when they should really be playing a really easy shot and won the point very easily and so it's completely fine I think I do agree with Sanya in the sense that the bigger issue is if you've previously agreed that you're following a tactic and you're you kind of see the path to success in the sense that if you play a specific way that's the way that you your coach your team have decided that you're going to have the highest likelihood of winning if you then don't do that and you start going rogue and you start just playing shots for the sake of it, then that was that would be the kind of thing that would really, really frustrate me. So I definitely agree agree with Sanyo in that sense. And I can understand why he got frustrated at Momo. He did also say that he was getting frustrated at Momo, but that's happened to him many times in the sense that he's just decided to play a different shot and looked back at it and thought, I'm an idiot. I shouldn't have done this. Why didn't I not follow the plan? At the end of the day, the heat of the moment and so many things go on in your head when you're playing a sport. Yeah, when I feel like, I mean, I'm, I've been saying now this as well, but I also feel like at least when I play, it's definitely something that I personally need to get better at because, yeah, as you say, when you play, like, you know, sometimes you're just like thinking, oh, let me play this show and let me do that. And it's just like, why don't I just stick to the easy thing? You know, this tactic has been working or this is what we've been discussing to do. And then, yeah, you just get dragged along and try to do a different thing. Um, so, yeah, I've been... I guess it, I guess it always happens. It also happens because it's hard to always stick to a plan in yeah, the sense that you've got to be really concentrated exactly. and just thinking about the plan every single time you play a shot and that's very hard and yeah. you can probably see why more experienced players like Bella and Sanyo that's why even if they're not as fit and well clearly not as fit as Momo for example or some of the top youngsters but they still manage to compete against them is because they probably follow the plan more than the youngsters do the only thing is the youngsters are just absolutely phenomenal and they can even win when they don't follow the plan because they're that good. 
and they're that fit and they can make the ball if they make a mistake and kind of bring the point back to the situation where they can start leading it and kind of driving it, if that makes sense. So, yeah, that that was a really, really interesting topic in the main to the S interview. And also just wanted to give a shout out to them because I think they're, they always make such good questions and they manage to drag, kind of drag information out and push information out of players without players feeling like they're kind of making a mistake by saying those things or saying anything wrong. So, yeah, yeah really, really great to hear. Yeah, I think then going on to another topic, which is maybe more related to the pair themselves, so both Momo and Sanyo, I thought it was quite interesting which that Sanjo said that they thought they, as a pair, they'd been going from from better to worst. Uh, funnily enough, I think he said that the best tournament that they played was Brussels, which I'm not mistaken. I think that was like their first tournament together. Um, and uh, it was quite funny, actually, because, uh, yeah, the way Sanjo was like speaking about it when he got asked and stuff. And then Isaias, which is one of the, you know, one of the people from Vintelier, um, who was questioning him. He was like, well, Sanjo, like for someone that doesn't really know you, like, like know about like you and Momo or like a new listener or something that's coming in, this sounds pretty gloom, <laughs> pretty doom. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then obviously Sanjo had to step back a bit and say, like, no, don't worry. Um, this is like, uh, obviously this is not like my only opinion of Momo. And then he started saying good things about him. But yeah, I thought it was very interesting. Um, the feeling that, I mean, they're still scraping wins, obviously. Um, so, but it is true that that sort of, I guess, playing feeling hasn't been there or, or it's gone, it's gotten a bit worse. They're just like scraping wins basically, um, lately. So, so yeah, I just wanted to ask you, are you still, I, I guess, are you still holding to your decision? <laughs> well, you know what? I really, I, I am. The only thing is, is that when Momo was interviewed, there was a moment, can't think of his words exactly, but he said something like, when we decided to play together, we decided that we were going to play until the end of the season. And then he kind of said, oh, well, hopefully to the end of the season. So I do think that their intention is to finish the season together. And they see this as a long-term project. I think even Sanya was saying there's three pairs that are above the rest. Yeah. And interestingly, he was saying, and I don't want to diverge too much, but he was saying that in every era of battle, there's always been two, three pairs that have been above the rest, like way above the rest. And obviously being currently and he said that they're not really looking to compete with them. They try, so they sometimes beat those pairs, but that's not their league. And Momo probably thinks that Sanyo is one of the best forehand players, if not the best forehand player he can play with. And it's the same for Sanyo. So in a way, I do think, why would they separate? It's just, I don't know whether, firstly, Momo's going to be able to deal with Sanyo's kind of bad attitude or for that much longer. Maybe he is. Maybe he doesn't mind. Seems like Sanyo believes that Momo is absolutely fine with it. Maybe Momo is, so maybe I'm completely wrong. But 
I do think that if there are pair changes soon, I have a feeling that they're both going to be tempted. And if there's a top player that's available, they are going to think about it. So we'll see. I'm going to stick to my guns, but we'll see. We'll see what happens. Yeah, definitely one to watch because uh, if they split, then you know that could have potential knock-on effects on on the other on the other pairs, which obviously was always interesting to see. Yeah, I love pair changes. Just it's just the ultimate chaos. You see one pair split, and you're like, "Wow, we're in for another." Yeah. 10 changes sometimes and it's and it's great to see but moving on from this topic but not from the interview one of the other things we wanted to talk about was Sanyo briefly mentioned the fact that he hopes that the World Battle Tour and Premier Battle unify and we have a unified calendar next season which we all I'm sure we all hope for because mainly for players' health I feel that if they keep playing for this long and they keep playing so many matches and so many tournaments, they're going to have serious injuries. And we've already seen a very injury-prone season. Most of the top players have had issues. And I think this is only going to get worse and worse. So we really do hope this happens. But he was saying that he really enjoys the A1 paddle tour. And personally, I don't follow it that much. I watch highlights. I know some of the key players. But he was saying that he sees the A1 paddle tour as a great tour to build up towards the World Paddle Tour. And he says that because particularly for young players, he says that if they go straight into playing the World Paddle Tour, they're going to have four or five years where they maybe win one game. Basically, they don't string two straight wins together because it's so hard. They play in the first round. If they make the main draw, they'll play one of the top seats. And what's the likelihood that they win that game? He was, yeah, he was sort of saying that you're basically spending your first five years of professional paddle trying to string, you know, consecutive match wins together. And that's basically your, your only going objective and how much you can aspire to, which is nuts. Which, exactly, it's nuts. And it must be so depressing for young players. Exactly. I, I know exactly. They'll, they'll understand that it's the World Paddle Tour and it's the ultimate deal. Yeah. But I really did... I love the fact that he enjoys it. We obviously spoke about the fact that Dineno follows the A1 Battle Tour closely. And apparently there are a lot of big talents there. I know Bianco and Arce have been the number one seeds for quite a long time. And they're sensational players. I know Alex Chofas is playing with Ausburger. Obviously, Ausburger has played a few tournaments of the A1 Paddle Tour this season. They've done really well. They've won one recently. So there's clearly a lot of potential there. And I do agree. I think it's a great stage for before playing the World Paddle Tour. He was asked how far do you think the top seeds would go if they played World Paddle Tour tournaments. And I think he said something along the lines of if they played a whole season, they would make the quarterfinals in at least one tournament. So it's obviously... Yeah, a few levels below the World Paddle Tour, but it's a good, but it's I a guess, great tour. Yeah, and it's a it's a great weight for us, you know, to visualize to visualize, and for I guess maybe some people that don't follow uh, A one as much. For example, I also don't follow it as much, but so they understand like what's the difference between both tours. I think Sanjo put it there very well, where he was saying, yeah, maybe they'll get one quarterfinal, but he and the, this is the number one pair of A one. 
And he was also saying that he was asked the same question, I think, a couple of years back. And he said that there he he thought that these players that are number ones now would maybe would win the qualifying and make the main draw. But that's it. So you can like actually see like what the level, like the difference in level is, which is also quite mad because uh, I didn't expect it to be that big. But I guess we also saw it recently when, as you mentioned, that was Burger that goes in place. So he played the Monaco Master um, of A1 and he won it. I can't remember who he played it with. But as you can see, like, you know, Leo obviously is quite, a, I wouldn't say a completely established player in, in, yet in the, on the tour, but like, you know, he's... He's becoming that. He's, you know, made a final. He's one of the sort of talents and, you know, he'll be a, yeah, he'll definitely be a number one probably in, in, in a few years' time. But even him at his age, you know, goes, plays one tournament at A1 and wins it or one master. So uh, I guess that shows you the level. But I think it's very, yeah, it would be cool to see that sort of, I guess, transition um, and, and be able to, to, I guess, have like a proper... I guess final towards World Paddle Tour, and uh, because I think that way, and and Sanjo was also saying, which I think is very important for I guess player development, is that if you go through the A1 Paddle Tour and then onto the World Paddle Tour and you're successful in A1, you sort of bring that winning mentality and that winning know-how, which obviously is key because so many matches and so many times. Yes, uh, well, I guess as Momo and Sanya are doing, they're just winning them, and perhaps you're not playing your best. You're not, you're not on, you're not feeling the greatest that day, or the opposition is playing well, but still you manage to scrape a win. That's so important. Um, we've seen obviously in tennis as well, you know, like Nadal and, and Djokovic sometimes just scrape wins, you know, because they have that mentality. So it's uh, it's definitely I think one of very important for player development in that sense. Yeah, and it and it's great to see. And obviously, A one paddle are never going to label themselves as the feeder tour for the World Paddles Tour. Yeah, but even if they don't, it's great to see that there is kind of a progression path for the youngsters. And I really hope youngsters do use the A one paddle tour in that sense, because as you say, if they start developing a winner mentality. And well, Sanya was saying that both Albianco and Arce are winners because those key points and during the key points, they're not nervous. They play as if it was a normal point. And that's probably the hardest part of paddle. It's playing the way you play most points, playing that way during the key points and not getting nervous and playing that incredibly hard and aggressive Biwara and that aggressive smash and going for the volley, that stuff part. But um, just one final thing I wanted to mention about this interview before we move on. Bit of a trivia for you. So Tanya was asked a few questions yeah. around players. And I wanted to see whether you can maybe guess the what he answered. So firstly, he was answered Who's the toughest opponent you currently face? Who yeah. would you say it is? Uh, he said Coelho. Yeah, bingo. Yeah. He he said Coelho. He said that, well, obvious reasons, but he's so big, he's so tall, covers so much ground. He also said that his lob is really underrated. It's a very mm. complete player. And he said, once they're at the net, you're playing with very, very fine margins. 
So against Guayo, it's just so so hard to play, and he particularly suffers a lot. Okay, cool. Well, that's one out of one. Then he was also <laughs> he also mentioned the player that basically gets the greatest ball speed off the racket. So he makes the ball go the fastest. Ah, yes. Um, this one is Ale Alan. Yep. Wow, you're on fire. Two out of two. <laughs> so yeah, Alan. He he only mentioned that briefly, but he said that yeah, he when he's on form, he's almost unplayable because he makes the ball go so fast and he hits his shots so hard. And just before the, I think the most important question and the most interesting answer, he also mentioned a player that he said basically he's almost like the escapist and he's the player that can basically get out of any situation because he can think about shots and options and things to do that most don't think exist. Who do you think he's talking about? Oh, well, you almost had me there, but I think it's Tapia. Yeah. yeah. I mean, to be fair, we, we don't both say that, would we? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And yeah, so the final one was, he was actually asked who he was... This was all around the basically our colleagues at Bendigf asking him who he thinks the best player is, and he mentioned a player who he thought was the most complete player on the tour. Juan Lebron. Yeah, I mean it had to be. Yeah. Yeah. It was quite, I mean, it was, it was quite funny as well because the way he said it. it I guess it's they were speaking about it, but they, yeah, they sort of asked him the question, but not really, and then Sanyo sort of said like oh it's so said something like oh when lebron is back you know for me lebron and then the rest and then and then yeah. that's when they sort of asked him like so always all these like questions around players but yeah it's oh yeah definitely up there uh has to be the most complete yeah i mean i've always thought that i always thought lebron's the most complete he's obviously proved he was a left well, he was a backhand player and he's now playing on the forehand and he's been number one in the world playing on the forehand. And he's his smash is as good on the forehand side of the court, which we all know is practically impossible. And he can just play every shot. I mean, Sanya was saying that in the Bigo Open final against Goya and Tapia, they almost won that match and he wasn't even being able to play with a smash. And that's like his key shot. So the fact that he could do that is is baffling. Would you also agree? Do you think he's the most he's the most complete player? Yeah, I think so. I think when we did our sort of like favorite player, I gave him the just um, I gave him as the sort of like I would love to have the I guess just normal forehand backhand like just your normal ground strokes because I feel like he's as you say like so complete and you know he can dictate so much like he can play. Uh, slow he can play fast he can he's really good defending attacking as you say smash is probably one of his trademark shots and he can do that you know he can do like um, cross-court smash he can do on the line smash he can do el portres with spin he can do a fastball um, he can bring it back like honestly he can basically do any kind of shot at I would say nine out of ten which for most players, you know, they have their maybe trademark shot where they're like, yeah, 10 out of 10, but then, you know, the rest of the shots are, are I guess, less efficient. But um, he's really one of those just, yeah, 
complete animals and I think physically as well he's he's got like the perfect physique for a paddle player where it's like he's he's got good height not massive but very strong not necessarily massive in terms of build but just very strong and you know it's probably really good for like last you know physically can last you know two three hours playing at, at the maximum level so yeah I would I would agree yeah I think I would agree as well and I don't want to delve too much more into this but I do have my doubts after watching the season I do think that he has very much pushing for to be the most complete player on the tour because he can also do everything and yeah. I actually think he could play on the forehand whether he'd be as good as Lebron it's hard to know and it would be very tough to be because obviously Lebron has been number one in the world on the forehand side of the court for over four years obviously with Baguito and then with Galan so yeah, but yeah, that was basically the key points that we wanted to talk about regarding Sanyo's interview. And moving on, and the other main thing we wanted to just briefly mention, and we won't talk about it too much, but Deloitte have actually released their second report regarding Global Paddle and the Global Paddle landscape. And I definitely thought it was really interesting. And I, I have read it a number of times. So we basically wanted to promo it a bit because we think it's great for Paddle. And it's great to see that kind of statistics and data proving the fact that Paddle is becoming one of the key sports in the world. And But yeah, Gons, any key takeouts? Yeah, and it's also in English. So normally Paddle content nowadays is quite hard to find in English. So I think this is also really good for our listeners. Uh, that they can Agreed. get their, their piece on like some professional you know materials and stuff like that that is in English and actually go through so uh, please give it a re read it's uh, available online and also I think that it should worth mentioning that Deloitte did this in collaboration with Platomic I think it's sort of like a um, yeah a collab that they both release is sort of like an annual I guess uh, report and uh, Playtomic, I'm sure a lot of our listeners have used it before to book your paddle matches. Um, just a few times. <laughs> just a couple, <laughs> exactly. But yeah, I think one of the interesting things uh, around the, the report, for me at least, was uh, the, I guess, the, the, prof like the professional side and how it's, that's evolving and uh, what it needs to become an Olympic sport, which I think we've heard around you know, the paddle community sort of, it's, or at least I've, I've always heard as the tagline of like, oh, it's still yet to become a, an Olympic sport or it's just trying to become an Olympic sport. And yeah, I thought it was interesting. I th the only thing that apparently they're missing to do that is uh, actually having the number of countries played. Um, and in order then to qualify um, to the next Olympics, I think they have to be seven years out. So basically in the report, they say that they don't expect paddle to be an olympic sport in paris 2024 or los angeles 2028 but they do expect it to be in brisbane 2032 um which obviously that's sort of like a major milestone for for any sport so it would be great to see um what yeah, are your it's... what did you like about the report i guess or any other well thoughts? that was definitely one of the key bits in the report just to clarify it's not just so it's not presence in countries. So it's not because 
Paddle's now present in over 100 countries, but what yeah. they need is Paddle to be competed in, in at least 75 countries over four continents in men's and 40 countries over three continents in women's, and it's not at that level yet. So it's the competition side of it. So, yeah, really do hope that changes and they are part of the Olympics very soon because I think it'll be a great spectacle and it'll be great for the sport. And, well, I just wanted to mention two very quick statistics that I thought were pretty mind-blowing. So, firstly, one of every five paddle clubs globally opened in 2022. I thought that was unbelievable. I just... Well, it just shows how much paddle's growing everywhere in the world. And then the other statistic I wanted to mention is it's anticipated that there will be around 85,000 paddle courts worldwide by 2026. And that's more that would more than double today's figure. So we've got around 40,000 courts globally at the moment. So yeah, essentially all the report does is emphasize the fact that paddle's growing exponentially and yeah. hopefully it's not going to stop so yeah and it gives what a great very time to be alive. details on some countries so yeah if anyone that's interesting go search it up on google and check it out um but i guess moving on onto some more paddle and this time we've got the valencia open uh coming up Come this on. week uh just a quick recap on Valladolid. that's actually we didn't do it last time in last episodes but um so Hugo had 31 points, I had 26, and we leave Valladolid essentially with the same difference of points. Uh, Hugo, 33, and myself on 28, so still that five-point gap that I need to close. But uh, yeah, I think Valladolid, there was a couple of things going on. Uh, we, you know, both uh, Momo and Sanya would go far, although actually you did mention that you were like, I think they might just scrape the semis somehow, and they actually lost in the first round. Uh, I remember after doing the podcast, we were both like, I'm pretty sure Mama and Sanya are not going to make it to the semis. But anyways, um, and then we also thought Paquita Tsingoto would beat Ale Galan and John Sant again, but this time they didn't. Um, and we we obviously thought the streak was going to continue, but it didn't. So uh, yeah, not a, great perform- not a great performance from us. Um, we both got two points essentially. But now moving on to Valencia, uh, what are your thoughts, Hugo? Yeah, appalling performance for the Valladolid League Master, to be honest. So I really hope this week is different. Not for both of us, just for me. <laughs> but um, obviously, we're going to see a lot of new pairs. And it's great to see. I'm really excited to see how Pincho and Diestro fare with the rest of their respective new partners. So obviously, Diestro is going to be playing with Leal. And Pincho will be playing with Cardona. And I've also seen that due to Campagnolo's injury, Pablo Lijo is going to be playing with Garrido. So quite a few new pairs. I'm sure I've missed a couple. But yeah, I'll jump straight into it. So first semi-final, I think, will be Coyon Tapia against Santa Galán. Santa Galán, this will be their last tournament together before Lebron returns. And the second semi-final, I think Mon Monsanio will actually make it against Tupandineno. The results will be Two sets to love to Goyan Tapia against Santangalan and two sets to love for Stupandineno against Momo Ansaño. And then the final, the Super Pibes against the Bombarderos. I think Goyan Tapia will just edge it this week and win two sets to one. 
guns. Oh, okay. So I might go a bit risky, but uh, I do think the same semifinalists are going to be there. Um, so Los Bombarderos, Aus Tapia and Coelho versus uh, Ale Galan and John Sant. I think Tapia and Coelho are going to edge it two sets to one. Then I actually think Momo and Sanyo are going to win by three sets. And wow. then I think in the final, it's going to be uh, Coelho Tapia winning in two sets. So we'll see how it wow. goes. Big shouts. Very excited. Well, this wraps the episode. Uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. Always great to have you here, Hugo. Thank you very much. And catch you next have time. A great week, guys. Have a great week and have a great week, Gons. Very excited for some paddle. Ring on Valencia. <laughs>